Some of you have been so shamed and so defeated and failed so often you don't even believe victory is possible anymore. Hear God's word. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You hear what he's saying? Every time there's a temptation, God provides a way of escape. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Today on Resonate, we're talking about the issue of moral purity. God's Word promises to provide a way of escape from temptations that we face in every area of life, including our sexuality. Last week, Pastor Trent began to teach us 10 things that we can do to flee from immorality. First, we must surrender our sexuality to the Lordship of Christ. Then, we must resolve to be morally pure. This requires an understanding that the fire of sexual temptation will come, and we must plan our way of escape before it comes. Let's listen now as Pastor Trent gives us a few more steps that we can take to guard ourselves against temptation with the conclusion of the message, The Matter of Moral Purity. Here's Pastor Trent. Everybody here has a sexual past. One of the lies of the enemy is to try to convince you that you're the only one in this room who struggles with sexual shame. This is something that is part of our past. It was when we were ignorant of God's grace and ignorant of God's holiness. Now that God has turned the light on, we can move forward in the present and the future in purity. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. He is calling you to be holy in all your conduct, practical holiness. What you do with your hands and your eyes and your feet and your lips and your tongue and your texting and your emailing and your Googling. He's talking about what you do with your conduct. Be holy, resolve to be pure. I'm calling you today as a people of God to be morally pure. Number three, rely on the Holy Spirit. What you need is to be emptied of all of yourself, understand there's nothing good in me to overcome this, and I need to be filled with the power and the purity of God's Spirit. Galatians 5.16, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Number four, remember the consequences of sexual sin. James 1 Verses 14 and 15 tell us how sin develops in our heart. Each person is tempted when he is lured. You got any fishermen in here? You need fishing lures? Looks really nice to a fish. Looks nasty to us, but it looks really good to a fish. Satan knows this about you too. He knows what he can put in you that looks really nasty to God, but looks really good to you. And different fish respond to different kind of lures, don't they? When he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The problem of temptation is not external, it's internal. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. 
And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth what? Death. Just like the fish that grabs the lure and it's reeled in and pretty soon you are eaten for lunch by the enemy. Desire, sin, death. That's the combination that the enemy uses to destroy purity in your life. Sin dulls my conscience. Sin distorts the glory of God. Sin generates guilt. Sin ruins my testimony. Sin strips my confidence. Sin destroys intimacy with God. Sin hurts my family. Sin shames my legacy. Sin kills my Savior. And sin will send me to hell to burn forever under the just wrath of God if I do not repent and believe the gospel. Next time you're tempted to say, ooh, she's hot. You remember hell is too? (laughs) Remember the consequences of sexual sin. You might just want to put this down too. And remember the benefits of blessing God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, forget none of His benefits. If you want the benefits of God, Live a sexually pure life. Number five, restrict access to temptation. And you remember how we said that we're going to use Matthew 19 to launch us as a springboard back into uh, chapter 18. There's three verses we've not yet studied in chapter 18. Here they come. We'll be finishing chapter 18 today. Notice this in Matthew chapter 18. If you've still got your Bibles open, you let your eyes fall on those verses. In verse 7, he, Jesus says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. If you are a part of tempting someone by things you say, by the way you dress, by the way you flirt, by the way you text, by the business that you operate, woe to you, says Jesus, through whom the temptation comes. He says, for it is necessary, or you might say inevitable, it's inevitable that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptations come. You know what Jesus is saying? The temptation's coming. You can put every internet filter you've got on your computer. You, you, you can gouge out your eyes and cut off your arms. Temptation's still coming your way. You better be ready to fight. So he goes on to say, here's the way you fight. Verse 8, And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. Hands and feet can cause you to sin. How is that? Why is it that our hands so often are what is involved in sexual sin? Hands are good. They're they're God-created. They have good purposes. We can use them for God-forbidden purposes as well. And he says, if you can't get a grip on this, you would be better off entering heaven as an amputee than hell fully functional with hands. Or cut off your feet. How do feet cause you to sin? Well, they carry you to places. You walk into a strip club. You can go over to her house or his house and get you to a place you never should have been. It would be better for you to be in a wheelchair than for you to go there and sin. Verse 9, if your eye causes you to sin... Tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. 
Now, understand what Jesus said in Matthew 19. Sexual immorality is a matter of the heart. Remember? It's because of the hardness of your heart. Sexual sin is a matter of the heart. But there is a string from your hands to your heart, from your feet to your heart, from your eyes to your heart. And Jesus says you've got to deal with what comes through those gates into the heart. When I was um, a teenager, I was an only child, and my parents weren't rich, but they were generous. And um, they didn't have anybody else to spend their money on, so they spent it on me. And uh, I appreciate this. But I had all the latest technology in my room, which means I had cable television and a landline phone. Okay? Even that was not good. Okay? If it wasn't good for me in 1982, what, what what avenues to temptation are we handing to our teenagers with unfiltered access to temptation? And as parents... We're going to be held accountable for that. Woe to him through which the temptation comes. Restrict access to the temptation. Now, you can restrict all the access you want. It's a matter of the heart, but we've got to deal with what's coming to the heart. Number six, realize you don't have to give in. You just need to know there is hope. Some of you have been so shamed and so defeated and failed so often you don't even believe victory is possible anymore. Hear God's word. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do you hear what he's saying? Every time there's a temptation, God provides a way of escape. Every time there's a fire started in the living room, there is a fire escape. When you are tempted, get your eyes looking around you for what God is providing to get you out of it. And the truth is, if we ignore the fire escape... We deserve to be burned up. Number seven, here's a way of escape. Run. Run from every form of evil. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. See, he says, so flee youthful passions. Interesting. There is a passion that is unique to being a youth. That's good news and bad news. Bad news is, you're going to get old. The good news is, you're going to get old. There's going to be some things that you outgrow, that you understand, I'm going I'm, I'm to be smarter than I am when I'm a kid, right? How many of you are smarter now than you were when you were 15? Yeah. How many of you were not smart at all when you were 15? How many of you thought you were the smartest person on the planet when you were 15? Okay, good. How many, nobody could tell you anything you didn't already know, right? Well, what that's a youthful understanding of life and your sexuality. And God says there's something you have to do as a youth that is unique to being a youth to fight the war on temptation. What is it? Run! Saturate the place of temptation with your absence. 
I am out of here. Some of us, we get into a temptation. It's like, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Lord, please don't help me. Uh, please, please, please don't allow me to fall to this temptation. God, please don't. Please, Lord, just please keep my hands in my pockets right now. And Lord, Lord, just run. God doesn't even want you there. He doesn't want you in the place of temptation. That is your number one tool to flee youthful passions. Remove the form of temptation. And then you have to replace the passion with a passion for something else. Passion for righteousness. Passion for faith. Passion for love. Not lust, love. Passion for peace along with those who call on the Lord from a what kind of heart? A pure heart. Do you notice how you don't do this in isolation? You do it with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That's why we need to recruit the help of godly friends. Hebrews 10 reminds us we don't battle temptation by ourselves. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to stir you up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. How are you going to win the battle on Monday if you are not encouraged on Sunday in the group of people who are meeting together to remind us how holy God is and how hot hell is and how merciful Jesus is and how much he loved you on that cross as he bled to keep you from being incinerated by the wrath of God because of your sexual shame. That's what we do around here on Sunday. Just remind you a little bit. So that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, when you're at the beach, you realize you better keep your eyes closed or on your wife. That's it. Recruit the help. Some of you are so independent. Like, I don't have to join a church. I'll just go to the church. What you need to do is you need to submit yourself to membership. You need to get in a small group and become vulnerable and transparent and accountable to people who love you and struggle with the same stuff you've struggled with, maybe are three or four years a little ahead of you and can encourage you things they've done to help you win the battle so you don't destroy your marriage. We do this together. Number nine, renew your mind with the Word of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your body parts, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Please understand this. Sexual immorality is an act of worship misdirected worship. You know what Satan does? He can't create anything. He doesn't want you to worship God as the creator, so he gets your eyes off of the creator and gets you onto what the creator has created. He gets you to worship creation, another body. And you begin to give your passions to the creation rather than the creator. 
You remember the first 25 pages of the Bible and all that junk and all that shame, all that stuff that came out in the book of Genesis? We finally get to the second book of the Bible. And what God designed in creation, He declared in commandments. He's like, man, you people are making a mess out of what I designed. You're dealing with all this shame, you got all this sin and all this junk. I didn't create it that way. Let me remind you of something. Here's the seventh commandment. Just to be real clear, short, simple, to the point, do not commit adultery. Seventh commandment. Lemmick, don't take another wife. Just one. That's what I created. One man, one woman, one lifetime. And in case you didn't pick it up in the seventh commandment, the tenth commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So not only are you forbidden to commit adultery, you're forbidden to want to commit adultery. That's how serious God is about this. God also knows that you won't even consider violating the seventh commandment or the tenth commandment if you would just obey the first commandment, which says you shall have no other gods before me. You will worship me alone as creator. And if you get that right, you won't be messing around trying to worship what I have created. It's an issue of worship. It is your spiritual worship to offer your body parts to God as a living sacrifice. Verse 2 says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The renewal of your mind. Now listen, some of you... you your past is just cluttered with sexual shame. I remember as a seventh grader, somebody handing me the centerfold of a, of a pornographic magazine. I took that and I hid it in my room so that I could take it out for quick reference. And uh, uh, that thing just kept coming at me for, for years, really. And it, it's to this, I'm standing here preaching this message, trying to shove that image in the back corner of my brain because I could still remember it. You have to renew your mind. You have to replace those images. You can't just go out and say, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to look. I'm not just, just, just. Here, let me show you how effective that is, okay? I want everybody in this room right now, do not think of the number eight. Don't think about the way it's spelled. Don't think about what comes between seven and nine. Ten minus two. Six plus two. Don't think about a snowman. How's that working for you? I'm having a hard time. Why? Because you're thinking about not thinking about it. The only way you'd be able not to think about the number eight is that if every time I said the number eight, you replaced it with another number and you thought about the number three. I, Okay, so let's try it again. Eight. Like, yeah, I got this down. All right, now listen, that's what we have to do when it comes to replacing that crud that we've allowed through our eye and through our hand and our foot or all those other accesses. We have to replace it. What are you going to replace it with? 
You're going to replace it with meditating on that which is good and pure and holy. Things like marriage and things like God's word and the cross of Jesus Christ and the penalty that was paid there and and what heaven's going to be like and about children that you're going to leave a legacy to that are going to talk about whether mom and dad stayed married and whether mom or dad committed adultery and and your grandchildren. and Now we're thinking straight, right? That's what God's Word directs us to, which the most obvious answer is, how well do you know this book? Do, Do you get your mind wrapped around what's in here? Or is it the only time you opened your Bible this week was last week at this time when Pastor Trent came up and said, open your Bible. That's not enough. We've got to wrap our mind around the Word of God so we can do the will of God replacing things which are forbidden by God. Last thing, refuse to be defeated. You get knocked down? Get back up! You fail? Repent and believe. Here's a passage of Scripture most of us haven't meditated much on. It's a little book, Micah, the Old Testament, Old Testament prophet. Chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. I want you to listen to it in context of of what we're talking about here. Rejoice not over me. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his enemy. The one that would put the crosshairs on his heart. Satan. Don't rejoice over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. Do you hear the determination in his voice? I am not going to remain defeated. I'm not going to be slaughtered by this. I'm getting back up. He says, when I sit in darkness. Some of us commit sexual sin, have sexual shame because we sit in the darkness of that sin. He says, the Lord will be my light. The secret of sexual sin is this. The power is in the secret. If you hide it in the darkness of your heart and you don't open your heart to the light of God to shine in on that dark place, you'll never get victory. You heard Steve say it earlier. The power is in the secret. He says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against Him. Do you hear the confession? Honest, open, transparent, vulnerable. And Lord, I realize the conscience of my sin have hurt me. It's hurt you. It's hurt my family. And I'm going to bear that until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Do you see the little three-letter word for? One of the most significant words in the Bible. God executes judgment not on you, but for you. He is the judge. He will settle all moral accounts, either on the cross or one day in hell. But he also acts as your defense attorney. He steps in between his wrath and he executes judgment for you. How did he do that? One day he hung his son on a cross as a shield between his wrath and you. And he absorbed all of your judgment so that you could absorb all his righteousness. That's a little doctrine known as imputation. And here's the little secret of Matthew chapter 7. Imputation 
is more powerful than amputation. You can cut off your hands, your arms, gouge out your eyes. It still didn't deal with your heart until your heart is imputed with the righteousness of God. When God declares you justified, He doesn't just declare you forgiven. He declares you righteous. No matter what you've done, no matter what kind of sexual shame, He gives you something you don't deserve because He gave His Son something He didn't deserve, namely your sexual shame. He will bring me out to the light. You talk about coming out? Absolutely. The Bible is all for coming out. Come out of the darkness into the light. He says, I shall look upon His vindication. Conscious, continual, gazing at the vindication of my sin upon Jesus, knowing I am set free. Imputation is more powerful than amputation. Theology is more powerful than biology. Get your mind wrapped around the gospel. It'll change your sexual shame. Refuse to say defeated. Lord, I want to pray right now for my friends. Lord, this is a battle for all of us. Lord, some here need to hear a strong word because their heart is hard. I pray you'd break their heart right now with the weight of the cross. I pray that that sexual shame would be like physical pain that would motivate them to get a cure or to prevent further damage. Lord, others here, they've lost hope. Lord, some have, uh, have, have really been paralyzed by shame and guilt. They're not serving you. They're not praying because there's such a barrier between you and them because they won't expose what has been in the dark to the light. I pray that this would be a day that that happens. And I pray that for all of us, this would be a day that we resolve to be morally pure. It's a point. It's a time where we're going to decide what happens on Friday and Saturday night. Lord, would you give us a new passion for purity, for righteousness, for love? Would you show us how to replace the things that are impure with things that are pure? Lord, we want to be distinctly different, not living in our former ignorance. We need you. We pray in Christ's name. Pastor Trent Griffith encouraged us in today's message that God wants to shine the light of His grace and holiness on the things we keep in darkness. When we turn from sin and towards Christ, we can move forward in the present and the future in purity. And we want to let you know that you don't have to move forward alone. At Harvest Bible Chapel, we're all about keeping a vertical focus on Jesus as we grow in love for God and each other. 
Join us for a weekend worship service on one of our two campuses in Granger, Indiana in St. Joseph, Michigan. For service times and campus locations, visit us online at harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for being with us today. And I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonant is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger, harvestgranger.org.